Welcome to the Perfect Faith Podcast. I'm Kirk Klingerman, your host. This is episode four of season five. This episode is entitled, What Does 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 mean? You know the verse. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That one. That's the one we're going to talk about. But before we jump into that, I have something else to share with you. I got a word from the Lord this last Saturday that I feel led to share with you today. Uh, Last Saturday, meaning January 23rd, 2021. And I got this about 6.08 a.m. What season are you in? It is winter. How much life do you see in winter? This is where the church is at at this moment. Some are hibernating. They're asleep. They're unaware of their surroundings. They're unaware of my will. Not everyone is asleep. There is a remnant who is awake and aware, but they are few, and yet, through the few, I can do much. Because of the prayers of the remnant, there will be a seed-bearing soil in the spring, and spring is drawing near. I have been shaking the earth, and still some remain asleep. However, spring is coming and will soon be here, and they will awake from their slumber. Finally, they too will put their hands to the plow. I will move the earth in the spring, and it will shake even more. The time for sleeping is over. Those who have been cold and frozen in this season will not be in the next. They are finally waking up to the fact that they have been cold and indifferent. They will not be comfortable with this state any longer. They will seek my son as if it was their first time. Spring is a time of repentance. Repentance is coming. Those who live in my garden are vibrant. The soil is rich and absent of thorns. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of worldly things cannot be found in my garden. I have been pruning my vine, and it will produce much fruit. Salah. If you want to participate in the harvest that's coming and has begun, you must allow my pruning shears to do the work necessary to cut and sever what is dead. Otherwise, the dead branches will suck the life out of the lively ones. Stop hanging on to that which is dead. Let it be severed and burned in my holy fire so it has no more place in you. That which does not produce fruit is cast into the fire. Salah. Every season is good. Each one has a purpose. Winter is a time for rest, but it is not a time for complacency. It is a time to consider your ways and to regroup and, yes, repent. The barrenness of winter creates hunger for life and the warmth of the sun. For some, it's a very uncomfortable season which, they, which is by design. It makes it difficult to stay in current conditions. For others, it's a time of preparation and pressing in. It's a time of vision. How one enters this season determines its purpose for him or her. How one responds to the season determines how well they can receive seed. That is, receive my word and produce fruit. Yes, it is winter, but spring will soon be here. It is time for those who are asleep to awaken. There is no time for such slumber. Remember, 
With each passing moment, the time of the end gets closer. It will arrive suddenly. Therefore, redeem the time for the days are evil, but also know the days of evil will be no more. Therefore, watch and sleep no more, you who slumbered, you who have slumbered. So anyway, that's what I got this last Saturday. And, you know, as I've been talking with other, with other friends, other believers, they've been getting this sense as well that there's been obvious, an obvious shaking taking place and that there's been a lot of people complacent that the Lord's trying to get their attention. And so that's happening right now, and which I believe also ties in with this study that I felt led to do, which is, you know, what does Second Chronicles seven fourteen really mean? So we're going to read it one more time. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Have you ever noticed something? Like when there's some sort of family, I'm sorry, uh, national crisis or emergency, all of a sudden you look on the billboard or you start seeing this verse of Scripture on billboards, maybe on some banners or some lawn signs. I mean, they just start popping up out of nowhere. And by and large, we pretty much know what they mean, but what do they really mean to those who read them? I mean, what is their actual commitment level? I mean, for those who put this out, and let me say this before I go too much farther. I'm not calling anyone's character into question. I'm not questioning anyone's walk. Your walk is between you and God, period, and a discussion. This is simply trying to draw attention to what motivates us, where our heart's at, so that we can join in in agreement with the Lord. So what, where is their heart in relation to this verse of Scripture? Do they bring it out simply because they want to be rescued from God? You know, if we just do a little bit of humbling of ourselves, you know, do a little bit of praying, you know, the Lord will come to our rescue. You know, maybe keep things at the status quo because it would really be uncomfortable if things suddenly changed in ways that we don't really like. So are they thinking in terms of temporal things? Or are they thinking more in terms of the kingdom of God and what is to come? So as we go through this, keep this in mind. When you look at this verse, or in fact, when you see it on, the bulb, on a billboard or maybe in someone's lawn or maybe some banner or maybe, you know, something on social media, whatever, think about where you are in relation to that verse of Scripture. So what does this verse of Scripture really mean? I mean, some of this that I'm about to talk about may seem obvious, but maybe not so much. So to begin with, who are my people or who are his people? This may sound obvious, but when you think in terms of a national crisis, sometimes we can misapply this verse of Scripture unless we think it out just a little bit. Okay, so... Originally, this verse was written to the nation of Israel, and more particular, the Jewish people. And then, of course, later on, it would apply to Christians, those who were grafted into the good vine through Jesus Christ, 
That's you and me. That's the disciples of Jesus. That's the Christians, right? So this verse applies to us. So it applies to God's people in a nation. It doesn't necessarily mean the entire nation itself, but those who belong to him that live in that nation. That's who it's talking about. And to a degree, that should give us some hope. And what I mean by that is, it means it doesn't require everyone in an entire nation to bow to their knees before they see any changes take place. All it really requires is the people of God to humble themselves. And just as I read earlier in this word that I shared with you, like the Lord said, it's, He can do a lot through a few. But can you imagine if we, the body of Christ, the church, were actually honed in on the kingdom of God and making disciples of people as we're called to do. We're called to make disciples of nations. So if we are busy about the Lord's work, that would mean there would be far more disciples in a nation, right? But also know, too, that a lot of times, and if you go back in Scripture, you can read it all the way from the Old Testament and into the New, where we've seen God head off catastrophe in unbelieving people or nations just because of the believers. In fact, we've also seen where people or nations have been blessed because of the believers that live there. We've seen that all through Scripture. So that in of itself should give us hope. But now this is where it gets a little bit dicey. You know, people often talk about nations being judged. But what does God say about judgment? 1 Peter 4, verses 17 through 19. Are you ready for this? Hang on to your hats. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to it with me. You can put it on pause. It's okay. You can do that and then come back. Let's do this together. 1 Peter 4, verses 17 through 19. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So what effect does a church, or the church rather, have on nations? What effect do we have? Well, think of it this way. The church is the only one that has authority over evil. Those of the world don't have that kind of authority. So what would happen if in a nation, let's say, that the people of God just decided to turn away from God? They'd stop praying. they stop interceding. they stop standing in the gap for that country or that nation. What then? Can you see the ramifications of that? Who's going to stand in the gap for that nation? Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace or a reproach to any people. So it's righteousness that's going to exalt a nation. And I've been saying this in the last few podcasts. Politics is not going to change a nation. It's going to be righteousness that does it. Okay? It's not going to be who's in office. It's righteousness. Fortunately, those that are of the church, those that are true disciples of Jesus Christ, are righteous in Jesus. 
So there are righteous people living in nations, which is a good thing. Okay, let's go to the next question. What does humble themselves mean? You know, that sounds like something that would be, you know, that sounds self-explanatory. But Jesus put it best. He said this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's Matthew 16, verse 24. And of course, humbling ourselves means absolute surrender. It means bowing both knees, not just one. I mean, it is complete surrender to the Lord, where we surrender our will to Him, where we stop insisting on doing things our way. I mean, let me ask you this. How many people have stopped following Jesus just because things didn't go their way? How many give God the cold shoulder anytime He doesn't perform, as it were, to their liking? Maybe they forget something, that one, He's God, and we're not. Number two, they're bought with a price. They're not their own. And you can find that, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, and verse 7 through 23. And let me, let me encourage you to do this as well. Go back, take your time, read Matthew 16, verse 24, and the surrounding verses. Study that out and take it to heart. Because this deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me stuff is very important. Very important. If we've truly humbled ourselves, if we as the body of Christ have truly humbled ourselves, wouldn't the body of Christ be undivided? Why are so many Christians attacking each other, for example? That's not an act of humility. When believers act in malice, when they publicly ridicule one another, they're actually playing into the, devil's, into the devil's hand because the church at that point is losing its power, its authority, and its influence. You know, there is a proper biblical way to address differences that we as believers might have with one another. But being a keyboard warrior on social media that's not one of them. And for some, it's time to repent. That needs to stop. That's ungodly. God's not happy with that. I, I'm telling you, pray about it and see. If you have grievances with other believers, then you need to look in the Bible and see what the Lord has to say about that and see how we're supposed to address it. We can't do it this way. Okay. We are called to be one, right? We are called to love one another. Here's another passage of Scripture for you to read and study. John 17, verses 20 through 26. In fact, read, of, read the entire chapter of John 17. Let me encourage you to do that as well. Because it really gives you the heart of God towards us as His sons and His daughters, right? He wants us to be one. And it's time that we do that. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance one for another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So what does it mean to pray? All right, we know Christianity 101 basically says we pray according to the will of the Father, right? I mean, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer that that's how we pray, which you find that in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Again, when we pray according to the will of God, we are actually humbling ourselves again. See, humility is really a requirement for prayer. It can be really frustrating when we are not praying according to the will of God because we don't see things happening. First John 5, verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So humility means coming in agreement with God. We can't keep asking him to come into agreement with us, especially if we are asking things that are contrary to the word, contrary to his nature. And remember this, his will for us is the best thing. Sometimes we think we know what's best, and we don't. Sometimes the things we pray for, if he gave it to us, we would be really sorrowful, I think, at times. We would really be bummed out over it. Why did I pray? Why did I ask for that one? So what does it mean to seek his face? To seek his face. That verse, seek his face, is actually a Hebraic phrase. And it has to do with crave, meaning it means to crave him. It has the meaning of craving to worship him. So with this idea of seeking his face, you're going after God himself. I mean, there's a big difference between seeking him and trying to find get something from him. Big difference. This has to do, again, like I said, with craving intimacy with God. That's what seeking his face is all about. And think about this. When our thoughts and our actions flow out of intimacy we are actually now coming into a place of purity because that is everything is now being done from the standpoint of love. When we walk by love, our faith is pure, our motivation is pure, we have no malice, we have no duplicity. We just want to just commune with the Lord and just do what He wants to do and see what He wants to see. Seeking his face also means, and, and really just touched on this already, but we'll, we'll just reemphasize it. Seeking his face means also seeking to be in agreement with him. Really get in his heart. What's your desire, Lord? What do you want to see happen? Who do I need to be for you? You know, we're always asking him to be our Savior, our Lord, our Deliverer, our Provider, and so on. But who are we supposed to be for him? What does it mean by turn from your wicked ways? Now, wait a minute, brother. I thought we were under grace. I thought all my sins have been forgiven. Fair question. Fair statement. But has the Lord been dealing with you about any issue? And if so, what have you done about it? 
Has he asked you to stop doing something? And if he has, did you treat it like a command or just a mere suggestion? Or if he's been asking you to do something, you know, such as forgive someone or something else, have you done it? Do you have any intentions to do it? Are you doing things that you know full well are contrary to his word? That's rebellion. You know, there is a difference, by the way, between rebellion and struggling, because rebellion is that part of us that this will not acquiesce to the desire of the Lord. That's that part that says, no way, I'm not going to be moved. I'm doing it my way. Again, not to confuse that with things where people are actually struggling with things, and the Lord will give you the victory. Again, let me encourage you in that area. If you're sincere about doing what the Lord is asking you to do, He's already made the provision for you to do it, so the victory is already in hand. So be encouraged to submit to what He's asking to you, for you to do. You'd be surprised at the results. But just know this. Grace does not give us the right to ignore God. It doesn't give us the right to continue to sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Grace gives us the ability to walk with the Lord and refuse to sin. It gives us the ability to do the things of God that we can't do by ourselves. So, here's another question to go along with that. Are you willing to see what the Lord wants to show you about you? And are you willing to repent in any area? Any area. And we all have areas, by the way. Let me be clear. I'm not, this isn't some thing where it's all about you. I mean, I, these are things I've got to deal with as well. I have to look in the mirror and make that guy look at me in the eye. And I make him look me in the eye because honesty is important. All right, finally. And forgive their sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is so good. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to have a great life. He really does. But it is time for us as believers to submit to his will and his desires. And then it talks about in him healing the land. And now here's something else, by the way. I didn't, I meant to say this earlier, so I'll throw it in now. Seen it also where believers or disciples of Jesus are blessed in a nation where everyone else is struggling. He can do that as well. But the bigger thing is, what kind of influence do we want to have where we're at in a nation? Because again, Jesus said to make disciples of nations. Look it up. I'm not making that one up. We can't do that if we're walking contrary to the Word of God. And remember, as I said earlier, everything around us is temporary. This life as we know it has a shelf life. It's going to come to an end. Every moment, every breath that we take brings us that much closer to the end. And everybody does have an end. You know, they may not see the coming of Jesus Christ, but they do have 
a final day where they breathe their last breath. Every one of us. It's appointed once for man to die and then comes to judgment. And again, I'm not fear-mongering here. This isn't about fear. This is about love, which actually vacates fear. This is about the kingdom. This is about his kingdom. So those are some things just to think about, pray about, you know, consider. And maybe share this message with some other people. Maybe they need to hear it. I know I've needed to hear it. There's a lot of things I've needed to hear from the Lord, and I'm glad they came my way. Wasn't always comfortable. I've had a number of times where I've squirmed in my seat, but it was necessary. I'm glad I squirmed. So with that, we're going to close up. Be blessed, my friends.